Mike Kissarm. Welcome to the Kiss FAQ Podcast. Thank you for giving us your time today. Nothing is into your head. I hope you don't do any damage. This is a Kiss-related podcast by the board for the board. We hope that you enjoy. Welcome to episode 169 of the Kiss FAQ Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Gill, and I am joined by the Scandinavian Kiss Army. Carl Linnaeus, welcome back. And Wheeze, Daniel. It's, it's always every time I see you, it seems like it's been a long time since I saw you last. So as always, good to see you and have you back on the yeah. show. And today there's just going to be the three of us. While we go through a few very topics, um, you know, some of the news happening this week is Gene Simmons Band Without Gene has just been added to the Indianapolis Kiss Expo. Four by Fate have been added to the Indianapolis Kiss Expo and will be performing. So there's a uh, hope for a Frelly's Comet reunion, if only for one song and alan belisha is advertising a second printing of his tokyo 77 magazine and there are a limited number of copies left so find alan on facebook and or email him at balish at gmail.com for information about ordering that reprint the first edition of that was absolutely fantastic full of great photographs from the shinko library in japan and while we're talking about second issues carl you guys have just recently a second printing of the absolutely outstanding i just got to sing the praises of that book again wonderfully put together incredible stories uh pictures it's in english as well note for everyone uh just absolutely freaking stunning so congratulations on that and getting a second printing Uh, give us the information about that please yeah well thank you thank you very much uh uh well we, we we were a bit hesitant because you know we, we didn't. This is our first book that we're putting out, uh, uh, you know, as a game publishing. So uh, you know, the, the game publishing house uh, has recently started, so we had no idea how much it will it would uh, sell actually. Uh, but the first printing sold out very quickly in a couple of months actually. So we did a second printing, and you know, it was very tempting to do you know a whole new cover, you know, just for myself because you know I'm a collector myself. But it would be it could be a bit of backlash, you know, if people were you know, oh, it's a new cover, I have to have this too. But uh, I mean, it's it, it it is an expensive book, so we did the same cover, but there's a you know, there's a new sticker on it, so you can tell, you know. The first edition has a yellow sticker, and the second edition has its more orangey sticker. So yeah, that's it. So so yeah, I'm, I'm you know flabbergasted by the by the uh, response we have we have got for the book. I'm very happy. So you do realize that that doesn't get you out of the doghouse with changing the cover because you've got a different colored sticker. There are some fans that now have to have it because it's got a different colored sticker. So there's no way there is absolutely no way to win when it comes to changing up covers. And I'm one of the most guilty parties on changing covers. And I get lots of loving feedback on Amazon reviews that uh, fans often feel that they've got to buy them just because we've changed the cover. No, you don't. But uh, if you happen to, that's one word, you know, definitely worth owning a couple of copies of. Now, you're going to be at the Kiss Cruise 8 Gathering 8, are you, this year? Uh, I'm not, uh, but uh, uh, my co-author, uh, Mats Vassfjord, who, who's uh, you know, the principal photographer of the book, he will be there. And uh, you can get in touch with him. He, he actually has, um, he sells his photos. I think it's called Kiss Classified Photos or something like that on Facebook, where you can uh, get in touch with him. And he will be uh at at the pre-party for the for the cruise and you know selling books and, and talking to 
talking to uh, the guys who, who, who bought the his classified book and so forth. Yeah, so he'll be he will be there, but but I'm not. Oh well, that's very cool. So uh, the book will be there is uh, I guess the yeah. point, and one of the those, yes. the parties involved. But yeah. Carl, will you Carl, will you be going to the Gene Simmons concerts in Stockholm then? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that more than uh, you know any Kiss show for the last 15 years or so. So yeah, I'm really psyched, and the set list is yeah. uh, it's, uh, stunning. So yeah. yeah, maybe I'll see you there. I'll be there as well. Yeah, yeah. hopefully that'll be cool. When yeah. is the when is the Gene show in in comparison with the balls? I think it's the, uh, the second of May or something. No, no, it's uh, it's uh, June second. Uh, no, June second. And f- first, he was going to do the vault the same day here in Stockholm. Uh, but he changed it to June 1st for the vault, and then the show is at this uh, vintage amusement park in Stockholm, yeah. which is actually performed in 1976. Uh, so, so it's the first oh, time oh, that you oh, will be at uh, this amusement park in 1976. What's the name of that? It's, I can't think. Grönalund. Grönalund. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I got there, but you, you said it correctly, and I did, so I, I butchered it. So, um, you know, when, I guess, when it comes Carl to. Carl would say it differently, he's from the West Coast. So it sounds kind of crazy when he says Grönalund, I think. <laughs> Carl, when it comes yeah. to seeing Gene Simmons live in concert, I mean, I, I'm sure you saw the most recent set list that was posted. He absolutely knocked it out of the park in terms of some of the stuff that he brought into the set. What are the sorts of songs when it comes to Gene Simmons that you're most looking forward to seeing that band perform live? Uh, well, practically, you know, all the songs that uh, Kiss never had performed or before, no, she's a European. I'm really, really looking forward to that. Um, you know, I think it was a single from my last album, but they never performed it live. So, um, I mean, yeah, you, just thinking about it, uh, it gives me goosebumps. And uh, of course, got love for sale. Is we do that for uh, quite, quite a number of shows. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I've never heard got love for sale in, in a in a live environment. So, yeah, it will be totally cool. And I, I just want to again say to Gene Simmons, film it. Release it. Come on. Come on. Film several of yeah. these shows and expand your set list. Just make sure you guys are all wearing the same stuff. Uh, and, and give us give us a Gene Simmons Band DVD. I want it. Here, take my money, Gene. Money. Money. So, <laughs> you know. money, money. Yeah, yeah because Paul, he, he just did two, you know, obscure tracks when he did the Live to Win tour. He did A Million to One and Magic Touch, uh, which was cool. But, uh, I mean, the Gene set list is uh, it's, uh, stunning. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, let's get into a couple of different topics today, because Daniel had come up with a fantastic, uh, what is it, Sweden Rock magazine that uh, had some work that you'd done previously. Uh, So, Daniel, tell me about that magazine and what we're going to just start out this conversation with Carl about. Uh, I guess Carl, he's written a lot of good articles for this magazine, Sweden Rock magazine. And as you can see, Kiss is often featured in this magazine lengthy articles uh, and most of the time it's Carl it's you that write these articles and um, I don't know you you haven't released the first book in English have you the one in the background there no uh, no no I haven't not I haven't no. yet uh, but perhaps someday we'll see yeah so in that book and also in this magazine you have a lot of uh, interesting um, information about for example Steve Cornell and the early days in Wicked Leicester. Yeah. I just I just thought that we could uh start off by talking a little bit about Carl's uh interviews with 
Steve Cornell from Wicked Leicester, and, and let's see where, where it goes. Yeah, because the Wicked Leicester story is, uh, is quite fascinating. Um, and uh, I, I did, uh, when, when I did this book, uh, this is a hardcover edition, and uh, th- this is uh, not available anymore. It's, it's available in, in paperback. It's in Swedish, though, but as we said, perhaps someday it will be in English. Um, the thing is, uh, I really dug deep in, into you know the early years of uh, the very early months of Kiss and the Wicked Lester story, of course. And uh, I I, uh, I got to interview Lou Lynette, who was Wicked Lester's manager, and he was he was also Kiss's first manager for a couple of months uh, for the first year, basically before Bill O'Coin came on board in August of 1973. Uh, so so Lou was great. I, I mean. Uh, <clears throat> I think, yeah, you can find those interviews on on, on my YouTube channel. Channel, uh, I think I put the entire Lulinette uh, interview up there. But <laughs> the funny thing is, I asked him, so uh, yeah, tell, tell me about, uh, what, what do you remember about, uh, you know, how, how did you get involved with Gina Paul? And I got a 40-minute answer from him. <laughs> and uh, so he, he was he was very talkative, uh, great yeah, interview. Good. And then I could, you know, get more into into the details and stuff and also Steve Cornell uh, I mean of course uh, his uh, his resume isn't as good as it was uh, you know I interviewed him in 2012 because this book first came out in 2013 five years ago and uh, much has happened since then which will we will not go into detail about but but uh, Steve was a bit a uh, uh, curious person a bit strange person back then Obviously. yeah but it was very cool because i got his contact information from a friend of mine called uh, alex baridol uh who had been in touch with him before and uh i mean it took it took like six months to get steve uh, six you know, months it, it only took you six months i tried for nine <laughs> years jesus <laughs> <laughs> yeah but but I think uh, I, th- I think uh, you know telling him it was for a cover feature for Sweden Rock magazine. Uh, we, I did that feature on Gene, and I wanted to talk about talk talk to his uh, you know childhood friend who was of course Stephen Cornell. So uh, I think uh, that made him warm up to it a bit. Um, but uh, yeah, so, so, so the thing is, he only did interviews for a short uh, short window of time. It wasn't that uh, many interviews he did back 2012 2013. So I'm very happy that I got to spend an hour on the phone with, with him where I could, you know, pick his brain. But the thing is, you know, it was a lot of emailing back and forth where I really picked his brain on, on you know, obscure details. So so, so the whole um, um, prologue to, to the book is, um, you know, I, I, wrote, uh, I wrote, wrote kind of um, in a fictional way, you know, uh, to, to make it sound like a, like a, you know, uh, a novel or something like that, where I used all the details that Steve, uh, Steve, uh, uh, had given me, um, because he had, he had a photographic memory actually, um, because it was his, in his apartment that Gina Paul met for the first time. They, they, had, they had been in touch, you know, with the phone pr- previous to that, uh, Gina Paul, but it was the first time they met uh, in the late summer of 1970. And uh, so, so I asked him, tell me about uh, the house uh, that you had your apartment in. Yeah, it was the old La Joan Hotel. So it had this big uh, um, lounge when you, when you walked in that used to be the hotel reception. And it was a big, you know, window in, in the in the ceiling. Um, and uh, my apartment was number 2L. 
and uh, the apartment was very narrow and I painted all all, uh, all, all walls uh, glassy black, <laughs> shiny black. And uh, I had this bed in, 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 uh, in the room, uh, you know, the, the mattress I put up on two Marshall stacks. And beneath that I had an Asian rug uh, where I used to smoke pot with my friends. And um, so, so I could paint this whole picture of, of Gina Paul meeting for the first time <laughs> using all these uh, great details. Um, yeah, so it was great. It was up in Washington Heights uh, on Manhattan. And uh, my friend Alex Berdell, he has, you can go to Facebook, Alex Room Service. Uh, and and uh, he, he actually was to that apportment, to that house uh, last week, actually. I, d- I just saw that up on Facebook <laughs> yeah. the other day. I was like, that's awesome. I mean, uh, you know, when you start really digging into the sites in New York City to go and see, I, I've never heard of anyone digging up that address and saying, I'm going to go where Paul Stanley met Gene Simmons. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. nice. Uh, you know, awesome stuff. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, and uh, I used some other sources uh, as well for this book. It's not all my interviews, but uh, there's that, a legendary Swedish journalist called Anders Tegner who wrote for the OK magazine in, in the 80s. And um, I got all his tapes. He, he still had, had all his original interview tapes that he sent me in a big box. And I, and I got to listen to all those uh, interviews. And one was made with Gene uh, at the hotel when they played here on the Lick It Up tour in 1983. And uh, Anders uh, uh, asked Gene all about Wicked Lester. And, uh, you know, back then it was just a 13-year-old gap. It's, it's not like nowadays. Gene doesn't remember anything. But back then he it, it, it said something very interesting, uh, which I believe is true because it was just 13 years uh, after the fact. Uh, and it was about the name, and I have not uh, heard this anywhere else, but um, apparently, uh, you know, uh, the house where Wicked Lester rehearsed at, in, in Chinatown, uh, it, it was also a furniture company called uh, uh, Wicker Furnitures. And the sign on the wall was, uh, you know, so old, so the R had, had became, you know, a bit, uh, a bit fussy, so it looked like Wicked. And, uh, and Paul said, uh, Wicked, that, that, that sounds like a good band name. And uh, then Gene came up uh, with the Lester character after that. Uh, and I asked Steve about this, but he didn't remember the, that sign, unfortunately. But I believe it's true anyway. But he said that um, he said that uh, one day Gene came came to him, Steve, and said, uh, "I got it, uh, wicked Lester." And uh, Steve said, what, what, "What does that mean?" And Gene said, "Well, it's it's a mischievous kid called Lester, uh, and he was very you know proud proud of the name." So. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's that's uh, the story of the name, I guess. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting story about how the name came about because it's such an eclectic name. It's odd; it doesn't mean anything, yeah. and yeah. yet it does kind of. I guess now that you hear that, uh, you know, about a possible source for the name, um, you know, it kind of makes sense with the music, with how eclectic it was, and how strange the combination of all four of those or pardon me, five of the members of that band were in terms of their different looks. So, hey, it, it makes sense. And now you know, you know, when you look at that Laughing Dogs album, you, um, you know, the cover that was not used for the for the Lester album, you know, Lester does look mischievous, that's for sure. <laughs> he does. And uh, and uh, yeah, speaking of names, uh, Lou Lynette told me about the origin of the Kiss name. Uh, you know, the, the stories that, uh, that they... You know, we're driving around, and uh, Peter had his lips uh, banned, and uh, and so forth, and uh, that's why they came up with the Kiss idea. But but Lou told me a more uh, boring story, but a bit more interesting story. Um, 
there were a four piece. Uh, Ace was in the band and they had no name. And uh, he told me that they were sitting around the rehearsal room at Tennis 23rd Street and uh, were trying to come up with names. Um, and uh, he said that s- someone suggested uh, hugs or kisses. <laughs> and uh, according to Lou, it was Paul who said, uh, uh, hmm, how, how, how about make it in, in, in a singular? How about kiss? And everyone went, yeah, that's, that's, that's fine. <laughs> and that's also a story that I believe I have not heard, uh, not told that many times before. I've never, I've never heard that. I've only ever heard the version that comes in the car and, you know, what about what about fuck or albatross or you know stuff like that and um, yeah hey, but but you know that some someone uh, like Lou Lynette was a heck of a lot closer to it than say you know a story 15 years on from Simmons or Stanley about how the the band's name comes up um, getting to Stephen Coronel obviously I still think there's a book a dedicated book to be written on Wicked Lester. Because I I, yeah. I I think the the period of seventy one leading you know it would end right at the first Kiss show right as they transition from Wicked Lester into Kiss uh, properly with Gene's long you know held story that uh, he booked that first Kiss show as Wicked Lester whether or not that's true or not is debatable but I still think that whole period with all the people that were involved that were around. Uh, would still make a very good book. And Stephen Cornell's story, he was there. He was friends with Gene. What did he recall about meeting Gene and how that kind of friendship um, germinated? Because they were in quite a few bands together, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. They, they were teenagers, uh, I think, uh, or adolescents when they first met. Um, and, uh, well, Steve told me a couple of, uh, you know, funny stories, huh? Now, we spoke about Gene's tongue, and <laughs> Steve told me that uh, Gene uh, used to, uh, you know, do all sort of crazy stuff with his face. Like he, he had big ears already back then, so so we could actually take the tip of his ear and stick it into, you know, the hole of his ear, so it would pop out, and it would, you know, uh, show off his tongue and all those uh, kind of stuff uh, that he was, you know, thought was funny with his face, um, and. Um, yeah, and they told me another uh, interesting story about uh, they were doing. I think it was a Barbaran by, by the Beach Boys in one of the bands, and uh, and uh, and Steve told Gino, you were quite out of key there, and Gene got so offended that he slapped Steve over the face, and so so he got, he got a you know blood blood from his lip, and Gene was very upset about this. So he told me all the, all of those you know very detailed stories, which uh, <laughs> was uh, great fun. Yeah. And I, I'm also curious that in, in when you were working to get that interview with with Steve, did you have to do quite a few calls with him before you actually got to interview him, or did you just manage to trade emails and set it up and then go straight in and do a interview with him? It was like uh, twenty or thirty emails before we could actually agree to make a call. So yeah, so, so he had to know you know my, about my intents and uh, that I was you know very interesting in talking to him so yeah yeah obviously I'm, I'm letting a little bit of my bitterness seep in right now because i never did get to interview him <laughs> i spent hours on the phone with him um you did? At, yeah talking and getting a feel for one another and how we were gonna do you know the the, the kind of the angle that i was uh aiming for but i can't use any of that because it's all off the record which um just just freaking kills me um he did have some did he tell you any interesting stories and i I have to use my stuff that uh, i can't talk about to see if he talked to you about it did he talk about uh driving to upstate new york with gene and uh 
you know, any exciting things that ever happened during those trips or, uh, you know, playing with Gene and the Cat Skills or in, in, in those early bands before Wicked Lester? Uh, I don't know if I if I got it mixed up with uh, with uh, Paul's book here because he he's he speaks about that in his book. Uh, I don't actually remember. No, I, I think you you have something that that I didn't get here, Julian. <laughs> oh <laughs> dear, that I, I, I can't. Sorry, just pouring another cup of tea. Um, you know, and then I can't even go into the details. So sorry, dear listeners, for even bringing that up. Uh, yeah, what about uh, stories about songwriting with Gene? Did he mention? I, I wonder if I'm digging myself a hole here, but uh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, of course, I asked him all about uh, Little Lady and Going Blind and She. Uh, uh, yeah, he, he talked about, uh, you know, writing She. Uh, he, he talked about the guitar that he wrote it on and all those details. Uh, and um, I think it was Steve who said that, yeah, I, first, you know, Gene sang She's uh, No Good and Steve wanted, wanted to change to Steve, uh, She's So Good uh, and so forth. Um, but actually, I, I don't recall that much because it was five years since I wrote this book. So uh, I, don't, I don't recall that actually, no. Yeah, I, I... He also, yeah, I remember Carl wrote in, uh, I think it was in the book or in the, uh, one of the articles that uh, uh, Stephen wasn't really satisfied with the lyrics that Gene came up with. He talked about uh, she walked by moonlight and Stephen didn't really understand well, what the hell are you talking about? But yeah, and then Jean explained like like I'm seeing this vision of a girl and yeah something like that. I remember you wrote something like that. Yeah, yeah, I got it from some sort of a movie about uh, the Indians, I think. Yeah, I think. that was it. Right. Uh, yeah, so that's it's why. So, was... Yeah, Jean like envisioned a movie that he'd seen way back in the day, or 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 a movie that he wanted to see. You know, he's a horror buff, so yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, he didn't get it, but. Uh, no. Uh, you know, Gene is still around for a reason, and Steve's not. So Gene actually <laughs> had a point there with his lyrics. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah. Too bad, Julian. Uh, yeah, yeah, you let the cat out of the bag now. <laughs> yep. You, you know, there there are some cool stories there. I mean, I mean, you've touched on it with she, um, and I, I think. You know, that comes back to like a Pocahontas type, an Indian chief. Um, I know I've read yeah. that elsewhere. So uh, talking about that isn't going to be, you know, uh, you know, unacceptable in terms of stuff that's previously set off the record. But uh, an Indian chief's daughter in the moonlight. And, you know, that's kind of the whole imagery that Gene was thinking behind that song. I mean, with the are you doing the vault experience or getting a vault? Uh, well, uh, I am a. I, I am a journalist for uh, for Scandinavia's biggest rock magazine, uh, and we'll just leave it there. <laughs> okay, so so there. But, 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 I hope, but I hope but I hope I will be present in someone. Yes. Yeah, because you know now that we've had the opportunity to listen to Little Lady, I I, I, I must say that that was one of the absolutely outstanding tracks on the whole of the vault for me personally. Getting to listen to any of those, I think there were four of the 1970 demos on the vaults and you know put on your slippers uh nancy which was a rebus in the eye and i can't remember the other one but you know just in terms of going back to gene's prehistory with steven and i think brooke strander was also a, a big part did you ever interview brooke as part of that book or before he passed away no unfortunately not i i, I didn't know 
No, I mean, that's a shame as well. Those, that was one I was working on as well, but obviously uh, ain't going to happen now. So uh, I think we're only going to be left. I mean, what are, what are the kind of the interesting things that you still want to discover about Wicked Lester? We're coming up to um, an important milestone in terms of copyright that a lot of that material is going to become public domain if KISS and or Universal don't release it. Um so there's, I, I would say that there's an opportunity for someone to be knocking out a 4,000-word essay about Wicked Lester uh, that really goes into the history of the band for that release. I mean, what are the stuff that you want to find out that still kind of bugs you as a journalist, as a KISS fan, as a, histor- a historian? Uh, well, the, the Holy Grail is, of course, uh, the, the rainbow tape of, of, the, of the live show, which uh, allegedly exists. Does it exist? Come again? It does exist. Yeah, no, yeah. Th- there is no allegedly. It does, and Gene has it. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, because I heard that, 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 that Brooke had it in his, in his cup drawer or something like that uh, before he died. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, cool. I have not heard that yet. So that's one of the, you know, prized possessions, uh, you know, still to be able to, to listen to that tape. Perhaps you have heard it. I don't know if you'll have no. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's but, but, that's my one remaining holy grail as well, for that matter. Uh, to hear yeah. to hear the earliest recordings of that, and maybe some of the unreleased, uh, you know, Peter Chris Studio stuff from, you know, but we're not talking about Peter today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but but I think I think I, I went into into depth uh, with all with all stuff we could listen from my book, uh, and uh, well, speaking about uh, you know the music, uh, of course, uh, Kiss did remaster the whole album back in two thousand and one, and they only put out "Keep Me Waiting" for the box set, uh, which you know sounds killer, and the the, the whole tape uh, sounds killer. Uh, it, it sounds you know really fresh, uh, you know, when you don't have to listen to it you know at a different speed or you know muffled through you know a lot of cassette tape recorders so i hope that will be made uh, uh, public uh, someday uh, that that remasters from 2001 yeah that, that's something that i want obviously we, we've all heard the the full remastered album uh which is absolutely stunning i mean if you think about the quality of, of that stuff on the on the kiss box set from 2001 if you haven't heard it um it, it's out there but i would love to purchase and obviously, I, I joked with Gene when I bought the bottle. Said I, I, I get to pay you for all the music I've already listened to for decades, um, <laughs> you know. But the, the same applies to Wicked Lester for me. I would love to have the original version, and that's the Coronel demos, followed by the '76 remaster, um, which I already I, I already have a transfer from the real love. But I would like the full studio blown, properly mastered version of that, and then the 2001 remaster in a digipack with that live rainbow tape and a nice essay and the uh uh, who who was it that designed the logo because that only surfaced a few years ago that um was it michael dore actually did the logo for lester in 1971 that never he he was just doing a, a presentation about his artwork and had this in his um his portfolio. I, I think it was oh, after, after he came back into the fold with uh, Sonic Boom. It, it, it kind of jogged his mind that he had also done other work with Gene and Paul before Casablanca. <laughs> so that, you know, get that logo and use it on the artwork that was used for Laughing Dogs. And, and to me, that would be really fun. Uh, worth nine ninety nine. 
That's nine dollars and ninety nine G, not nine hundred and ninety nine, and it doesn't need to be hand delivered. But uh, that, that's kind of what I would no. like. Daniel, would you go for that product? Absolutely. I mean, uh, there's so many opportunities if they just, you know, uh, listen to the fans. Uh, sometimes I feel like Kiss miss a lot of opportunities and they go out and do their their own ideas. For example. I remember, you know, that book a few years ago, the, the big one, the monster book. Yeah. That's like a, a really bad idea from Kiss. Uh, instead of listening to the fans, hello, we want some music. And I think most Kiss fans want music or remastered music or something new in that area. And uh, no one wants a, re- a big book that you can't even read almost because it's so big. So, so I think they should uh, listen a little bit more to the fans. Uh, but I guess, Carl, you've seen that book, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah the I'm, big one, yeah. I met Gene and he showed it to me and he said, pick it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's heavy, Gene. I can't. It's too big. <laughs> it's all big. He said that to Julian as well when he got his vault. Pick it up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Video of the. I, I mean that monster book. I mean, what the point? What is the point of a book that you can't take into the toilet with you? It's big. <laughs> yeah, but it's the thing the is, you, you yeah. have to, you have to give it to Gene and Kiss because the, you know they're still you know going where no band has gone before. You know, with the monster book and the vault and everything. So, but um, yeah, I was thinking about if you go back to Wicked Lester a bit and and you know uh, people I want. Uh, I wish to talk to to make you know the definite weekly lesson story. I don't know if Don Ellis is, is he still alive, the epic uh, executive. Oh God, I... because he would be interesting to talk to. Because that's one interesting thing that uh, Lou Lynette told me. Um, Lou, uh, you know, he was friends with with Ron Johnson. That's that's how he got involved with Kiss, and he was also friends with Don Ellis. And uh, Lou told me that one thing that he never understood uh, about this project was, um, you know. When, when they had the finished album, uh, uh, Lou, uh, Ron Johnson, and Gene and Paul went over to Don Ellis' uh, office and they played the, the reel-to-reel tape uh, for Don at his office. And he listened to the whole thing through and he said, I hate it. I don't want to release it. <laughs> and as Lou said, how, how could he uh, suddenly hate an album that uh, it was the same songs that he you know, signed uh, the band for? So it, he had heard all the tracks, and uh, that's why that, that that is why he he signed the band. And then suddenly he decided he hated it and he didn't want to release it. And he had given a hefty advance of twenty thousand dollars, according to to Lou, to the band. And uh, Lou managed to to uh, fix it so they didn't have to you know uh, pay back the money to to, to Epic Records uh, after that, which is you know a uh, big feat in the music uh, business. Um, but Lou said he never understood why, why uh, he suddenly, you know, hated it and would re- release it after the fact that he signed the band, uh, you know, uh, after 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 listening to all those tracks. So yeah, that's a, that's an enigma, I have to say. Yeah, I think it's going to be one of those mysteries and in, in you know music mysteries that you know why the what and you know again there's so many still things to still be answered about the whole wicked lester picture um i want to talk a bit just quickly before we get into the actual topic for today um 
who are some of your favorite interviews that you've conducted over the years? You know, not just, you know, talking about this very early stuff that, you know, for some people will love, uh, others will be like irrelevant to me. But, um, you know, who, who have you enjoyed the most throughout your, your time as a KISS fan in interviewing? Uh, wow. Uh, that's, uh, I, I have a list here of, uh, of all the people interviewed for the book. And I have to check it first. Um, but, uh, uh, well, Peter Chris, uh, I actually, no, I've spoken to Gene, um, Paul, and Ace uh, probably a dozen of times uh, uh, at least. Uh, but I, I, I only talked to Peter once. Uh, but but I got one hour uh, one hour with Peter when he was uh, releasing his book and he was very uh, open and very easy and very you know lovable and uh, a very fun chat uh, to have so so I, I would say Peter from 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 you know the Kiss guys but uh, um, yeah I'm looking through uh, the list here and uh, well uh, Dennis Volokh of course he is quite a storyteller <laughs> yeah. That's that, that, that's not an interview. That's pure entertainment. <laughs> talking with Dennis. Yeah, it is, and I, I think I spoke to him for several hours. Uh, you know, spread over uh, three different interviews, and yeah, he, he's uh, the most fun guy to talk to. Actually, he, he don't hold back, and that's a good thing. Yeah, you know, I, th there's so many people I still want to interview. Peter Chris, I would still love to, you know talk with every time i've spoken with him it's been brief and he's been awesome i i just wonder if he would still be awesome say five hours into that interview with me <laughs> yeah but, but, but i would like to hear the worst interview as well if you can tell that i don't know but yeah. the, the, one that the, the, really didn't go the way you wanted to that's always fun to hear but i don't know if you want to tell us but yeah but right. if you have an interview that went sideways you know uh, well, uh, first off, I must say when I look at this list of guys I interviewed for uh, about Kiss, uh, you know, several, several, several of those guys, you know, have passed since I talked to them. To them, I mean, yeah, it's Kenny Kerner passed, uh, Dick Wagner passed, uh, uh, who else? Uh, Bill O'Coin passed, uh, you know. So and Mick Campese, he, he's passed uh, shortly after I talked to him for this book. So, so I'm very happy that I actually got to talk to those guys. But, but worst interview, um, well, Ron Everson was a bit difficult uh, uh, oh, nice. to, to get a hold of. It was also, you know, six months of emailing. And, and then he said, you know, before we went to print with the book, okay, but only an email interview. And email interviews always sucks. But, so, but I got some answers from him. So... And uh, there are some very cocky uh, guys in, in history. Uh, I don't know if I should mention the names because they're still alive. But I don't know if that's worse than naming them. Saying I don't, I don't know if I should name them it's, while they're still alive. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, well. Yeah, that, that's a fair point. You know, but, uh, you, you know, there, there are always in, in this game when you do talk to people. There, hey. there are, some, there are some tough ones. There are some interviews that start off tough, but once you get into them, um, they, uh, people loosen up. I mean, uh, it, it really is a, a simple thing that they don't know what they're going to get out of talking with you. Usually, you haven't oh. done done a lot of pre work, so. You know, Otherwise, I've always enjoyed Carl's way of uh, writing an article. It's like he's meeting the person, and then it's kind of hesitant in the beginning, 
and then he asks the right questions and he makes the person open up and then he get to the details. So I think that's great. A great you have you have you're good at interviewing it seems because uh, thank you. For example, the Gene Simmons interview you did a couple of years back when he's kind of he's uh, shooting I think he's using cookies and and shooting them at something and yeah. uh, you make him open up and you Just because you have the knowledge that you have. It's so fun to read a KISS interview with a journalist that know the subject, you know. Most of the time you have a a journalist that asks the same old, same old questions, you know. But with Carl, it's so different. Even I, as a lifelong KISS fan, always get something from from his interviews And have I, I always, you know, when you get the Sweden Rock magazine, you look, Carl Linnaeus, has he written anything about Kiss? Yes. <laughs> and then you go to that. Ah, you took time. That's a, no, that's true. That's true. I think that goes for all Kiss fans in Sweden because it's so good to have a real Kiss fan in the industry, so to speak. You know, someone who writes Kiss materials, Kiss interviews, and know the stuff because most of the time it's just the same old question. So I, I've really gotten a kick out of your interviews through the years. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. And uh, for that magazine that you held up uh, earlier, uh, yeah, we actually shoot. Uh, yeah, yeah. Gene was showing me how how he uh, was uh, playing marbles when he was growing up uh, in Israel, uh, and, and that's also that that story is actually printed in uh, Kiss Classified too. Uh, and, and they used you know cookies to to shoot marbles when we sat there in, in London doing the interview uh, to show me so. Yeah, uh, it was it was very laid back interview, and you know then it's easier to talk to him. And and also I also I remember I asked him about uh, how did he get the nickname Buggy at school. Yeah, and I, I don't think that he been asked about that nickname for quite some time. So that also you know made him realize that I was someone who actually uh, knew him. So he could he could you know loosen up a bit. But also uh, for, for this article, this is my this came out in last year. Um, I did a, I did an interview with uh, all four members, uh, you know, prior to the tour last year, and uh, <laughs> it's quite fun that because, of course, I since I know so much about Kiss, I want to know about stuff that I don't know. And uh, I remember one topic uh, one year ago was you know Eric Singer's hair because suddenly it looked you know very strange that he had some sort of dead animal on his head there for a while. So so I asked him about this uh, because you know he. he Apparently it's not balding or so. So I had to ask him about that wig and you know I don't I don't, I don't remember how I phrased the question. Uh, how do you broach uh, the subject? It's hard. I, I just threw it out there. I think uh, <laughs> towards, towards the end of the interview, uh, and and it, and it, <laughs> and he stopped. He paused and he became quiet for a couple of seconds and said. I don't think that's a that's a topic for an interview. Uh, it's it's like me asking your mother what her favorite sex position is, uh, and they, you know made a big deal about it. So I I never got a straight answer about him, but the answer about you know him asking me about my mother's sex positions uh, was so funny that that I put it in the magazine. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Eric. Uh, uh, yeah, of course. Eric, he, he's he's. Uh... A, a ton of entertainment all right let's uh get into one of the things that we did uh, and one of the other things that we wanted to talk about and daniel this is all your fault um yeah you're well t- 
the thing we're going to discuss now is, uh, you know, Kiss lyrics. And a lot have, has been said about Kiss lyrics. Uh, not so positive at times. But uh, I guess without all these cheesy Kiss lyrics, there wouldn't be any Kiss. I know there are podcasts that... Have you listened to Puddle Thunder? Yep. Yeah. They dissect the Kiss lyrics, and they always come. They always come to the conclusion that, well, this lyric is about Gene Simmons, you know, his uh, thing <laughs> down there, and that's it, it, a lot of Kiss. Daniel, yeah, it has it has a name. Yeah. It's I think it's called his, his schmeckle. Okay, uh, that sounds kind of <laughs> Jewish, but I don't know what that is. Uh, but uh, uh, you know. There's other Kiss lyrics than the Gene Simmons uh, sex lyrics. And I'm hoping to hear 10 good choices from you guys. And we'll see where we will yeah, end the, the, yeah. there, there are There are the Paul Stanley sex lyrics too. Don't forget. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love's like a muscle and you make me want to flex. Yeah, oh, yeah, well, yeah. Me, well, thanks, me thanks for taking one of my picks right there. I, I just... I just uh, we Facebooked a little bit, me and Carl, and, and guessed uh, each other's kiss lyrics. And, of course, you know, uh, sex and X, the X and sex came up and, uh, you know, put the log in the fireplace and all. You know, we have a lot of Lick these. Lick my candy but, cane. <laughs> but can we actually find 10 good songs, 10 good lyrics in history? I hope we can. And we'll start, sure. with, we'll start with number 10. And Julian, you're... You're the first one. Oh, okay. This life, <laughs> this life makes fools of wise men, thieves, and kings. Oh my! Which one is that? Once again, <laughs> I, I can't. I don't recognize it. Is it the elder? <laughs> no. No, it, it's close to that. Uh, Carnival of Souls, Seduction of the Innocent. Yeah, Mr. Yeah, Simmons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there, there was just something about the lyrics in that particular song, and a lot of the Gene songs on that album actually do go into different sorts of places like that, which is is, is very, very zen, you know, you know, in 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 the sense that uh, wise men, thieves, kings, everyone's going the same place. Uh, so I like that one. Are you sure it's a seduction of the innocent? Because I got it printed out here too. And I don't have that uh, words in my lyric. <laughs> oh, yeah. it, it's one, it's one, my, I might have been on I Confess. I don't remember. <laughs> I, think, I think so. It's, it's good to see that you put in the effort, Julian. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Carl. Yeah, you yeah, because, yeah man, I, well, I don't have it in order, but I, I can also say a selection of the innocent is, a, is, a, is a, you know, it, it's very... Of course, Gene started to write lyrics uh, with unholy about you know more serious stuff about than than just about his cock, of course. And but of all those lyrics, I I, I enjoy all, all his lyrics from Carnival Souls. But Seduction of the Innocent is it's actually my favorite. With you know, it, it's very poetic in in a very unlike Gene way. With uh, you know, he always wears his Bible belt, the collar on his head. It's like a noose around his neck. Uh, say it friend if you had to do it all over again would you know the tricker that is praying and all those kind of uh, you know anti-religious uh, anti-religion stuff uh, it was which, like that yeah because the seduction of the innocent in, 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 in you know in my mind is uh, you know the most poetic lyric he, he ever wrote yeah yeah and I absolutely screwed up on mine because my number 10 because it's actually it's a long way down 
duh. The one ab- I hadn't put the title down yet next to my uh, my, my choice, and the one above it is Seduction. So uh, a complete brain fart there. I do apologize, but that is Paul, Paul Stanley's long way long way down. We need to pretend at least that we, we have put them in order to to you know like make it exciting. Sure. So uh, my number ten is uh, let's see. I'll start in the right correct order here now. Uh, my number ten is actually. You know, there's a word in German called Vorfreude, and it means Freude is like uh, happiness, and four is before. So, you know, before you're going to, to some place, uh, or, you know, when you're going on vacation, you're longing for the vacation, you're thinking it will be all, you will have a great time and everything will be perfect. And then when you actually end up, in the place where 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 you're on a vacation, it's not quite as good as you thought, and that's for Freude, the feeling before you go somewhere. That's not a good word in in Swedish. I don't know if there's one in English, but there's a song in the Kiss catalog that uh, I, I kind of think of this for Freude word when I hear that one, and uh, that's Detroit Rock City. You know, I feel uptight on a Saturday night, nine o'clock, the radio is the only light. You know, you're feeling you you got this feeling, and you you want to go out and have a good time. And unfortunately, um, things go bad and doesn't end up the way he wants to. The guy in the song, but, but you know, you 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 got the feeling in the beginning of the song. He dies at the end, but uh, yeah. you know, going to a place, longing for something. And I think Detroit Rock City is a perfect song for that. Nice. All right, so now I am actually in Seduction of the Innocent, yeah. and Carl's already mentioned that. My number nine pick, uh, the Padre looks well fed, remember what the good book said, and the vultures so- circle overhead. Yep, it, I just liked his, com- for the same reasons that you did. You know, it was kind of his yeah. commentary um, and, and what he was kind of saying. And there are some songs like that with lyrics, obviously leftovers that he'd uh, put in a hat that uh, show up on the vault. Where uh, with very similar themic lines that I like just as much as seduction for exactly the same reason. Yeah, 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 absolutely, me too. Uh, and and my number nine uh, uh, actually, in, in some ways, sticks with with uh, uh, Daniel's uh, pick of Detroit Rock City, because uh, I, I think I think there only has been uh, there 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 only been two songs in his career that actually has this kind of storytelling vibe. You know that actually tells a story from, from hide your heart, and the second is hide your heart exactly, yeah. and that's my number nine. Uh, that that really tells a story, um, and well, I just want to say about that song. Of course, it's a very clever lyric and it's very you know dramatic, uh, just like the Truck City, but um, it, it was written in 1987 uh, for the Crazy Nights album, uh, and it was written with uh, with Desmond Child, uh, who. I believe his 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 uh, top um, um, contribution to to Paul's song was was uh, lyrical, I believe, and uh, it's it's very easy to you know uh, uh, think about living on a prayer and hide your heart, which was written you know around the same time. I believe hide your heart was written after living on a prayer. Living on a prayer also tells this story about you know a couple and uh, you know. Uh, Blah blah blah. So uh, yeah, I think uh, Hydro Heart owns a lot of uh, owns a lot to live on a prayer actually, and it's a great lyric. 
Yeah, with, without without being a, a terrible copy of Living on a Prayer. It's yeah, yeah, a, it's, course, it's very much its own story. Um, even if it was inspired by telling a story in a similar kind of manner, I, I say Paul completely went with the uh, the target and made something you know very much uh, legitimate. So it's it's not just a, a cheap copy of living. No, of course not. But it has it has that storytelling. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's some of the very yeah. best storytelling in a Kiss song. So you know, kudos to Paul and Desmond on that, Daniel. Yeah, yeah it's just terrible you know, uh, thinking about Ron Nevison that he. Uh, chose to um, to put Bang Bang You on the record and left off one of Kiss's greatest tunes that was never released on an album. And, and I'm always thinking about Sword and Stone when I'm thinking about Ron anyway, so how the hell could he put that off the album? Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's a shame. That's one of my favorite songs from the 80s, actually, but you never get it in crisp condition, you know? Well, we're we're at number nine, and I'm number eight, I believe. Number eight? No, no. No, he still has we're his on. number nine pack. I'm I'm on number eight, so. Yeah, I'm, okay. I'm okay. number eight. I'm yeah, on number sorry. nine. And and I'm 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 thinking about something that's classic to Kiss, and uh, and the thing I, I always liked when I was a kid, you know, ten, eleven years old was these kind of uh, self-empowering songs. And when I was a kid, there was an album called Asylum released. I know Julian likes this as well. Uh, but And it seems to have you know, grown with the KISS community over the last few years, actually. I see a lot of positive commenting, comments about Asylum. And my favorite song of that album is King of the Mountain. I, th- I think it's such a great song. And and the lyrics, you know, I'm going to climb the mountain. I'm going to hit the top. I want to go where nobody's ever been. I'm never going to stop. I'm going to rain. I'm going to shine. I mean, it's perfect if you, when you're a kid and you feel like, I want to be better than all the rest of these guys. Then you go and listen to King of the Mountain. And that's just a great lyric. The Paul Stan- a great song. The Paul Stanley you know, uh, philosophy, live to win, king of the mountain. Yeah. You know, the, there is a, a very much a theme of how he approaches his life that is just recurrent in uh, history. All right, my number eight pick. Just pretend I'm only a friend and disappear from sight. One day you're going to be lonely, wishing I was by your side. Oh, my, this is... A million to one. Unmasked, isn't it? A million to one. Yeah, only pretend... Once again... Read it once again. Let's see if we can. Just pretend I'm only a friend and disappear from sight. One no, day you're, run, go- one day you're gonna no, be lonely, wishing I was by your side. Yeah, Carl got it. Wishing I was by your side. And and, and saying and saying it non-rhythmically is just making it impossible for you to figure out. <laughs> Nowhere to run. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Again, another very kind of autobiographical song because of its inspiration but it's it's kind of the pain and bitterness that i love in this it's like you left me yeah it, it, it has the same vibe as a million to one the bitterness and then you know mm-hmm. the revenge uh, it, thinking so that that, it, that was why i was thinking a million to one it's a bit more vengeful in that yeah. you've hurt me a million to one has a similar sort of feeling but it's more melancholy that uh, mm. it, it's a sadder Kind of, there's they're twin songs for me, um, but I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, nowhere to nowhere to run. Absolutely love that. I song. hear that now. 
I hear that, that I hear that now that they're twin songs lyrically. You know, I'm going to one. Uh, one day you're gonna be lonely, wishing I was by your side. It, it could, no, it's it was nowhere to run. Sorry, <laughs> I got them all mixed up. Oh, good. I'm Forget not the it. I'm not the only one today. No, no. But uh, yeah, well, well, my next uh, my next pick actually uh, ties in with a uh, with a uh, Daniel's King of the Mountain because I was thinking either King of the Mountain or or this song <laughs> because Paul, Paul had you know a great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was he had a great knack of uh, you know doing those lead off tracks from the albums so where we really felt you know powerful and uh, yeah like like you were a uh, king of the I've hill. Had enough. I've had enough. It's my pick because uh, lyrically I think that that's a bit stronger than King of Mountain. Um, you know, how many times have have the light with the truth in their eyes, treat you like dirt, wasting the days of our lives, and and uh, especially you know the the. Uh, you know the, the the other part, uh, wishing and hoping won't get you nothing. Prayer, praying and scheming, no time for dreaming. I've got the power. This is our now. You really feel like you know just thumping that song, and you really feel alive when you when you when you when you listen to those lyrics on that track. That's I it. really like that one. So that's a good one. It's a great pick. I'm just gonna. Unfortunately, they didn't give it a chance live. They just played a few gigs in England. But uh, number eight for me, well, I'm not a religious guy, but uh, if you talk about, you know, uh, ancient religions like pagan religions or North mythology, I can get into it. And this is one of those, you know, God of Thunder. I like that one. You got something about you. You got something I need. Daughter of Aphrodite. Hear my words and take heed. It's like the perfect gene song, even though Paul wrote it. They they made some alternations to it, but uh, uh, I think it's the perfect demon song. They never topped this one. Unholy was pretty close, but it didn't go really over well live. They never they never were able to perform it live. But God of Thunder is perfect and. Uh, he kind of blended Nordic mythology, mythology with uh, Greek mythology, but it doesn't matter. It's kind of a cool song. Yeah, he, he, mm. he, he just took mythology. I just never, you know, when you think of the God of Thunder and everything that it's become, um, that's a good lyric. I mean, I, I never see God of Thunder. I, I don't understand how Paul ever wrote that, visualizing himself as the god of thunder i can't get that in my head you know for his body language and his performing on stage i mean it's it's like david bowie singing slayer and it, it just was, no. was never yeah. going to be something yeah. that worked well god of thunder I'm, of course thunder represents uh, rock and roll and uh, you know loud music so so in my mind uh, it's totally uh, you know understandable to 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 see paul you know being the god of thunder too but but not in the way uh, that Gene sang, but more thundering in the way of you know rock and roll and loud music, I believe. Yeah, I, I mean, I would love to. See, I would love to see Paul actually perform the song and see what, yeah. how he kind of physically presents it, because uh, you know it, it's just one of those weird songs. I mean, you, you, he wrote Gene's theme for him, basically. Go figure. Mm, yeah. Go figure. It would never have been Gene's theme without Bob Ezrin. So. Oh, of course not. Uh, and it's funny because I, I talked to JR about, you know, the drumming 
Uh, and some people say, oh, JR wanted to do you know, a disco beat. But I said he, he picked it up from, a, uh, I believe it was Smoke on the Water or some Deep Purple song. He took that uh, pattern on the drums to it. And not, not, not a disco pattern in his mind as well, uh, at least. That was quite interesting. That's, that's another one of my dreams. All of those rehearsals from 75, there are a couple of them on the vault. Absolutely perfect sound quality. I would love to hear all of that stuff that they recorded in that same quality. I thought JR did a great job on drums. It's not quite, yeah. you know, it's it's no worse than Peter really at the time. Uh, you know, he JR was a drummer, so he, he knew which, you know, how to put down a basic beat, uh, which is more than good enough for what the sessions yeah. were. Yeah, it told me, you know, they never rehearsed the songs. They just did it in the studio because Peter was going on vacation and they refused to, you know, uh, not go on vacation. So, yeah. All right. So we're back and Daniel's tied up his children and there'll be no more squeaks out of them today. Um, in this country, you're not really allowed to duct tape children's mouths to keep them. But, uh, well, you know, there, there let's we see. Go. Number seven. This is such a great song. Oh, my. I remember learning this on guitar when I was a kid. Uh, this is about someone who really has hit rock bottom. And that's not usual in a Kiss song. They're writing about something about uh, something about that topic. And it's Cold Gin by Ace Frehley. My heat is broke. I'm so tired. I need some fuel to build a fire. I mean, then you're really down and out. And I really love that lyric. Mostly because it's such, uh, you never heard it in a Kiss lyric. I think it's, and then you, when you got to know how Ace was in the 70s, you, you understand where he, get, uh, where he got the idea from. He didn't have to look far, you know. <laughs> I mean, he had some problems. But uh, that's a good lyric. That's a perfect, you know. Yeah, the, the lyrics uh, paints a picture. Even though I, I, I detest Jim. Uh, and cold gin, is that really something you drink? I don't know. You mean gin and not gin. <laughs> I, 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 like gin. gin. I like gin, but I don't like gin. <laughs> no, gin, gin is served at room temperature. So. Yeah, it's, but cold gin. I never got the cold gin part. But but then if, if, if your heater's broke, then your your room temperature is chilly. So there you, there you go. It all makes sense in the end. All right. My number seven pick is the twin that I, I just talked about, and my other pick uh, is a million to one. And it's I gave you the best life I ever had, but it wasn't enough. So you, if you think you're so smart, go play with my heart. When you walk out the door, you'll realize what you never did before. Love that lyric. Love the song. Love the sentiments. The uh, again, it, I already mentioned it's the melancholy version of the breakup song. Um, you know, so it, he'd obviously. Uh, you know, made some progress in dealing with his feelings after Nowhere to Run. And then you get the same song rewritten again uh, the following year. And now he's a little bit more just sad, not bitter. So there you go. P people seem to think that I Still Love You is about Donna Dixon, but it must be a million to one that is about Donna Dixon because they broke up during the Christian of the Night tour. So apparently a million to one must be about Donna Dixon, right? Yeah, you know, they they might have been on, you know, heading for a break during you yeah. know, when he, when he's writing I still love you. That might have been his begging. But what do you what do you what do you That, that might have been his be, his begging song. You know. Please yeah. please don't dump yeah. me for Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, that's terrible. 
been done by Dan Aykroyd. Uh, all right, M- my next pick uh, is you know, it, it's a very short lyric actually, um, but uh, I always uh, you know of course I, I enjoy it when when uh, when artists are, are more you know private and personal in, the, in their lyrics and and you know with Kiss it, it's not that common. But uh, in Gene's case, I think the the very first uh, you know song that you can actually read something into was a Man of Thousand Faces, uh, and according to the Black Box tapes, uh, that that was supposed to be the title of his album before before they all went you know with just the, the, their names for the album title. Gene's was supposed to be called Man of Thousand Faces, and uh, uh, the very short lyric is: uh, For years I've lived inside my dreams. Somehow I made them real, it seems. I made my own rules because I am a man of a thousand faces. And that, that that's, uh, sounds very much like, uh, you know, Gene's philosophy and the first song, first lyric that he wrote, uh, you know, uh, expressing uh, this uh, philosophy. Nice one. Mm-hmm. All right, Daniel. Did you, just open up another, did you just open up another beer? <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. Uh, I I just wish Carl opened up another DBA. He's been sucking on the same one all the time. You need to put on the other one in. Well, number six. Number seven. Or is it number seven? Okay, I'll have to go down there. Well, we're going to have to keep a tight leash on you now for the rest of the show. Yeah. Uh, Unholy. Uh, You know, you remember Kiss had done some, you know, not so good albums, Crazy Nights. On the shade, following trends, and uh, they actually hit the jackpot with the first song off of uh, uh, Revenge, Unholy. I remember seeing the video on MTV Headbangers Ball, and I've been almost shocked at the way they looked and the way they sounded, but I liked it. And I like the lyrics as well. Uh, I'm suicide and salvation, the omen to nation that you worship on all fours. Kind of this religious thing once again, you know. Oh, I was created by by man. You know, I'm unholy. To me, it always seemed like uh, it talked about uh, religion and that it was created by man, you know. Uh, myths. Uh, to help us understand and, and behave, but in the end, it's not really true. You know, it's too far-fetched to be true. You know, Noah's Noah's Ark and all that—it's kind of crazy. So I, I was like that. So I loved the lyrics to that of that song. But then I listened to a few more tracks. Actually, I heard this song previously. You know, got a. Um, God gave rock and roll to you. And the spoken lyrics to that one is really oh, cringe-worthy. People who have been given a gift, who have been given a role, and that name is rock and roll. It's like a preacher, so it it doesn't really fit the album. So I always it's a, it's a kiss religion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Christianity. You know, yeah, it's Christianity maybe. Kiss, but, Christianity. Christianity, but but yeah. but. But it didn't really fit the album, and 
Well, Unholy was a good lyric, at least. Unholy's got a ton of good lyrics. And I mean, even me, who has professed to not be a big fan of that album. I mean, there's one section in there I love, but you're the beast that calls me by my name. You send your children to war to serve bastards and whores. I love that yeah. part of the song. And yeah. you know, the other part, which I'm the Lord of the Dirty. Flies, you know, from the left hand of power comes the father of lies. It's just chock full of Vinnie, Vin- yeah. Vinnie yeah. Vincent's fingerprints are all over those lyrics to me. Um, yeah, I, I would love. What do you think about? Him. What do you think? Will anything happen from this Nashville convention, Julian? What do you think? Yeah, I, I Any would. Any collaboration? Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he picks up an acoustic. I, he did that in Atlanta. Um, you know, he he certainly. I think if he was unrehearsed for Atlanta, then he's more rehearsed than Ace Frehley. So if he picks up an acoustic, he's not going to care if it's in 440 or, or drop or what. He's not going to care what the tuning is. He'll pick it up. Um, will he, Will Gene be able to remember the lyrics? They can have some fun with that because obviously Ace and Gene have had some fun mocking each other for forgetting the lyrics of songs that they wrote. So, you know, I, I would I tell Gene, just spend a weekend with Vin and write two songs. That'll be better than anything you've written for you know, 20 years. You know, Gene may well have said, hey, rehearse, I want to live, which is, you know, that one that's on the vault. And it's pretty easy. Um, I'm sure on an on acoustic, yeah, we'll, we'll wait in here. You know, it's going to be happening very soon. All right, let's get Let's move on from there. My number six pick. Her love is a gun. Her love is a blade. Fish is insane. She deals in pain. Killer! Speaking of Vinny, <laughs> this, this is the one remaining song that I want to hear live. Um, it, yeah, you know, yes. preferably by Kiss in makeup, um, mm. and and if not the Gene Simmons band, I'm sure would not get out of the park. I love that. These are again, they speak to me as being Vinny, and he's just got a way with words. And that whole song is just that's true. The the lyric every time I just grin. I'm like, you know, it's like my Beavis and Butthead experience song. <laughs> I love that part. You know, crack the whip. Yeah, that, that drum part. It, it, that, you know, speaking of lyrics, and, and I think that ties together with the, the lyrics. That, that, that uh, I think it's a splash or something on, on the symbols. It's great. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, well, I, I can stay with a the theme uh, about you know Gene, you know, expressing his inner self uh, with "Man of Thousand Faces." Um, the 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 next track. This was like 11 years later. He, he did another uh, great lyric in my mind. For the Hot in the Shade album, I think Hot in the Shade uh, features some of uh, Gene's best lyrics, actually. Uh, oh not my. his best, so- not his best songs, but l- lyric-wise, you know, he, he you know went away from the singing about his dick stuff. But Cadillac Dreams, oh. I, I love that lyric. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, I could totally read into into the Gene Simmons personality with the lyrics like a Stone Cold Reality came crashing down on me. Well, life was hard on me, but I still don't give a damn. And um, didn't have the time of day till this dream was born. You can't take that away. You can't take that away from me. me. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he he was singing about his upbringing, uh, and uh, you know, he had a tough childhood. He, he was bullied. He uh, you know came from a you know foreign country. Didn't know the language uh, and so forth. And um, uh, you know, wanted to yeah make it big and have have those Cadillac dreams. So I always loved um, the the lyrics to Cadillac dreams. Yeah. I think that's a cool pick. I would never picked. I would never looked at that song because really? I really. No, 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 no. It's such a bad song, but 
lyrics might be good. I have to go and check the the lyrics of that once again. Ah, that's kind of fun. Yeah, I was okay. I, I was hovering over the songs on the album, thinking which one is he going to pick, which one he's going to pick. I was way wrong. I did not see that one coming. But that that's some okay. that's some, that's some <laughs> okay. deep stuff. That's deep. Yeah. Is it my turn? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Number five, I think it is. Number six. Uh, number six for you. It's number six. Okay. Uh, I'll pick. Uh, let's see if you get this one. I remember listening to this one. Uh, it was as an album. It was great, but this song really stood out. And uh, it's like a self-empowerment song, but you know you have a furious feel when you when you sing it. Um, sometimes you feel your boss is like you know you don't like him or her, and they don't deliver the way you want and you just want to take their place and show them how stuff is supposed to be done and to me a song that perfectly portrays this is uh, War Machine you know strike down the one who leads me I'm gonna take his place and better watch out I'm a fucking war machine (laughs) you know sometimes you feel that when you're at work you know this guy he has no clue what he's doing. Let put me in that place, and I'll show it. I'll show you how it's done. And I think War Machine is the perfect song for that feeling. Nice. I just can't get the videos out of my head that they've used the last few tours whenever they play War Machine. Those little robot minions. So. No. <laughs> what the hell is that all about? It was maybe cool 15 years ago. Well, it's, it's, it's better than the cars they had in Detroit Rock City. That Detroit Rock City, yeah. yeah. But couldn't they update the videos, motherfuckers? I mean, yeah. something new. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Number five. Um, and I, I would love to say that this has always been one of my picks. It hasn't. It was only an interview that Tim did for the Odyssey book that really drew my attention to it. And when they spoke about it, I was like, holy crap, you're right. So, once upon a not yet, long ago, someday, countless times we've met, met along the way. This is the elder. Absolutely. Odyssey. Yeah. Absolutely. Odyssey. Odyssey, exactly. Um, oh, my. It, it was just, and it's not even written by Paul or Gene. It's just because of it being sung by them. I just find it an absolutely stunning lyric, little section right there, that absolutely sums everything that's wrong with that album. So, um it's just so unkiss, and it is unkiss. You know, it's Tony. So we'll we'll move on. We'll quickly move on from the elder. Thank you. No, we won't because I got actually plenty of time from the elder. Here. No, but actually I got uh, yeah. And the rose is my next pick because uh, speaking of the elder, there are actually only two songs that uh, make sense on, lyrically on that album, and that is uh, um, uh, only you and. Um, under the rose, which actually, you know, m- makes you realize uh, what's going on in, in in the story. And under the rose, uh, you know, have you know, lonely, loneliness will haunt you. Will you sacrifice? Do you take the oath? Will you live your life under the rose? Uh, you know, which, which is of course the order. Uh, so I put under the rose and uh, only you in, in this list because they're they're they are the only lyrics. Uh, that makes sense on that album, uh, <laughs> I believe. 
<laughs> now we can move away from the other. What, what do you mean? Like like a like a what? God, I can't even I can't even remember any lyrics right now. So all right, let's move on. Daniel, your number five pick. Uh, I had I've had enough, but Carl has already said everything about that one. But I think it's a nice self-empowering song, and uh, it's a tremendous song. And I I always thought they should have played it more live. Unfortunately, I think it would have worked worked out well, but uh, I guess the English audiences didn't give it its rightful reception, so they they didn't continue. So that's my pick. I've had enough. Well, at least we got a nice soundboard recording out of it. So yeah, there's some some good yeah. bootlegs with it. All right, my what number are we on? Number four, and I'm switching out from the one that I had picked. Um, I thought I'd go out today and take a swim today. It was real hot <laughs> and I just had to get away. They spotted an unknown sub down in the bay. I don't care. I think go swimming anyway. <laughs> you know, when I when I was getting into the band and going back through the catalog and catching up with all the albums that had been released before 1985, when I got to Unmasked, most of it I thought was absolute crap. I did not like it. Um, it took a lot of time for some of the songs to grow on me. This is not one of them. I love that song, that lyric, just because of it. The absurdity, the inanity. It's stupid. It's absolutely idiotic, and I love it. It's fun and dumb and just good rock and roll, the whole song. But that lyric in itself, you know, it just absolutely makes no sense whatsoever in terms of any context whatsoever. It's pure ace. Yeah, it's ace. But didn't he write something... On one of his solo albums that was uh, even worse uh, uh, or better, it depends on how you view it. Uh, she had a good look or something. She had a good ass, and I I, I <laughs> let her backstage or something. Isn't that one of Ace's songs? You got a nice looking ass. You got a backstage pass and a nice looking ass from We yeah. Got Your Rock. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. That's the one. I think. Yeah, but awesome. but uh, I believe Gina's also used that rhyme in a couple of songs with you know ass and backstage pass and whatever. <laughs> I, I think it was cool. Gene, Gene, uh, better be careful. Her backbone's gonna slip. Oh, yeah. once I, again. I, for the I have no idea what that means, but um, I'm from Sweden. Uh, I, I, I have uh, no idea what it means, and I'm not. What the fuck is backbone, Julian? Teach us. I I have no idea. It sounds very like something he picked up at a yoga exercise class or something well my next pick is actually yeah actually i was a bit wrong about the elder because uh, you know there are there are more lyrics that tells the story of, of uh, you know uh, yeah tells the story of the story such as just the boy and so forth and also uh, uh a world without heroes which is one of my favorite oh. lyrics and of course that, that was lou reed's uh, work most of it uh, and you know, some 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 say it's uh, it's uh, too cheesy. I, I believe Paul says it's too cheesy, but that's because he's, he didn't write it, I think. <laughs> but I, you know, th- those those things like um, a bird without wings, a bell that never r- rings, uh, and so forth. Uh, I mean, they they are simple and cheesy, but sometimes that 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 are you know uh, also clever at the same time. And I believe. A World Without Heroes, the lyrics uh, are clever in all its cheesiness. They are. Yeah, that's good. And, and it's a thing of beauty. So, you know, it's a, it's a winner. Yeah, and it, 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 it's also, you know, the whole uh, kiss ideology about, uh, you know, because, I mean, uh, it, the lyrics defines 
so much why we love Kiss because you know what would a, a world without heroes slash Kiss be? We're we're all here talking about uh, you know Kiss because we need a world uh, with heroes. But Carl, it, didn't you feel this when you were when you were a kid? You know the Kiss lyrics were simple. When you had English as a second language, you could actually understand them. But when you yeah. listen to other bands, it was kind of hard. You know, you didn't have the yeah, our, uh, the, the, the listening to our maiden. You had to have a you know history. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, uh, but you didn't understand. But Kiss, you you kind of got it at first. Yeah, but, but 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 on the other hand, you know, with Kiss lyrics, you know, it took me. I had to, you know, become a, an adult before I realized, uh, you know, uh, the lyrics to rise to it. What you actually, you know, was rising to, of course, <laughs> uh, we not to me, but a rise yeah. to it. And, uh, you know, all, all those songs, like uh, all, all those sexual innuendos. Uh, it took me. Yeah, yeah I, I remember being a kid and uh, in, in Holland they had those two bops, uh, bubblegum uh, record, small mm. cards from, from 1980. And I got the Dynasty one back in the mid-80s when I was a kid, and the, and the back uh, cover had the lyrics to Sean or something. And uh, I asked my father to read it to me in bed. <laughs> what does it mean? Uh, uh, he, what does it mean when she, she says that she, uh, she showed him things I'd never taught him in school? And then my father, hmm. As my father, what does keep you coming means? Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, all those sexually innuendos. I, 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 I have a similar story. I remember telling my mom, you know, I, I, uh, the, my first two albums were Animalize and Asylum. And it was like the two first songs of Animalize, you know, I've Had Enough and Heaven So Far were great. But the third one I never quite get, got. So, so, so I went to my mother and asked, you know, burn, bitch, burn. What the hell does it mean? Uh, and she said, Brin Hexa Brin. That was kind of a crazy. good translation. And that means burn, witch burn, you know. So I, I thought that for, you know, five more years until I got the knowledge to understand what it is. And that means. actually is the original title. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah. I never heard that. Okay. But, 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 it, took, but it took me until, you know, all night when, you know, Okay, I, I realized what oof means. It wasn't such sexual that innuendo. One I got, I got it was really, you know, a bang on the head. Oof means, yeah, I, I can realize what oof means. <laughs> yeah, I, I really anyway. think bands like Iron Maiden should be given awards for introducing, yeah. you know, they're, they're like a, a British ambassador. And, you know, who would know the Red and the Black or, um, you know, Passchendaele or uh, the Trooper? You know, he's waving around this British flag dressed up in, you know, he, he's... You know, they, they've educated the world on, you know, a lot of history, not just, you know, British, but... Okay, Danny, thank yeah. you. Not sure about our main... <laughs> yeah, we're at number five, aren't we? Uh, no, number four. I, I've lost numbers, but, but I have another one of these uh, self-empowerment songs. I guess um, that's a theme that runs through the KISS catalog, and... Uh, I guess it's one of the reasons why we like them. And this is one of the Creatures of the Night album once again. I guess Creatures of the Nights are getting a lot of hits here. And this is Rock rock On. I want to be a president. Two-fisted till the very end. And then we're not going to take it. 
which uh, uh, Twisted Sister stole and made a great hit out of two years later. I don't really know if they stole from this one, but uh, I think great lyrics. Uh, and uh, this is a song, you know, we've heard it a thousand times, so we kind of, you know, fed up with it. But when you listen to this for the first time, it was really cool and you felt like you want to go out and do something about stuff, you know? Uh, so uh, I think this is uh, one of Gene's best ones. And uh, I, I really enjoy this still. I'd like to see see this one in on the second of June. We'll see if he play plays this one in. Uh... You want you 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 want to see Eleven Loud with Gene Simmons solo band? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah but he's, okay. That's his only hit. <laughs> Name another hit he has. Doctor Love. Okay, I I can skip that one. I, re- I mean he 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 he. Ah ah ah. I mean, you, want to, you want him to play rock and roll night too? No, no, no you're fucking crazy, man. <laughs> just, no, just right, kidding. I love what about lick it up, or I want you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't have mentioned the. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you will. You will probably get it. So, yeah, there you go. It's it, it's been in the set and. It's it's one of those songs that I say I never want to hear again, and every time they play it, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, enjoy it. So there you go. All right, my my number three pick is my parents think I'm crazy and they hate the things I do. I'm stupid and I'm lazy, and if they only knew, it's uh, 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 uh flaming youth. Yep. Flaming youth. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, again, it's everything that Kiss is about to me. It's uh, you know having a good time, rebellion. Uh, finding yourself, etc., etc., etc. It's it doesn't have much to think about. It's like you, no. don't, you, you don't understand me. It's a good one. Yep. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Um, all right. My next pick is uh, you know uh, th- this lyrics is one is one of my favorites because it it ties so well together uh, with the with the feel of the music. And this song has a very, you know, a specific feel to it. So uh, let's see if you get this. Uh, uh, lonely people looking for someone. Lonely people going their way. Lonely people looking for something. Lonely people going their way. In New York, millionaires. Lonely people with lonely stares. I'm not looking for love. I'm and I'm lost in this night. It's a soft song. Lonely Naked people looking. For- yeah, Naked City. And of course, you know, all the victims are turned to stone. No one is happy. They're all alone. Uh, it's a good song. In the night. Uh, you know, it, 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 it really tells, uh, you know, the story of, uh, you know, yeah, New York and, and being lonely. And, uh, you know, it's cold, it's dark, and you're feeling alone. And it's, uh, you know, uh, socially, it's, uh, uh, I mean, you, you feel isolated, is what I'm trying to say. And uh, you know the song has a very you know uh, you, you feel isolated. Listen to the song to the music, and then you got the lyrics, which fits so perfectly with you know the, the the vibe of the song of the music. It's like living in a big city like Gothenburg or something. You know, feel alone all the <laughs> <Yeah>. time, <laughs> sitting in an apartment. No one cares about you. So <laughs> I guess that's about it. Okay, it's my turn. Number three. I think it is. Okay, 
party. You know, party has always been a theme in Kiss songs. And of course, you got rock and roll night party every day, but that's been done to death. So for fans, you know, it doesn't uh, do a lot. But they have others. And one of the best party tunes of all time, I would say, is Shout It Out Loud. You got to treat yourself like number one. Don't let them tell you there's too much noise. There too. Then you, you know that one. Oh, don't oh, let them. Don't realize. let them tell you that there's too much snow. There too. Oh, to re- to really realize. To too really to understand. Understand. God damn, you're evicted from the Kiss Army. <laughs> They're too old to really understand. God damn. I'm looking out now. <laughs> okay. That's one of the best, you know, party tunes. So shout it out loud to me. It is it. again core anthem to the Kiss Army. As much yeah. as I, I'm not a big fan of it, but you know, there you go. All right, <laughs> number two, get up and get your grandma out of here. Yeah, dude. Pick up. Old Jim is working hard this year. You know, these are the very I. I, I can never remember which one I heard first, whether it was Deuce or Black Diamond. These are the first lyrics I ever heard of Kiss. And to this day, they just resonate with me. It's just like what they're the intent, what they're telling you to do is kind of like, again, back to the whole core message of Kiss to me. And forget all everything else. Forget grandma. Forget all that baggage, you know. Um, but, Carl, but Carl, what do you say? What does deuce mean? You know, it's a te- it's a te- it's a tennis term, as Ace used to say. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the first thing you got, but it can't be that. Is it the second hole? I don't know. Well, 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 <laughs> well, well it's interesting that uh, that Julian uh, picked this one because uh, I have actually never been, uh, figured out what that's this song is no. about. And I it, guess that's. Me too, but I always liked it. But I've never really. Is it deuce? You know, you've you've seen tennis deuce. You've heard someone sometimes they when they go to the toilet they say they they, they make drop, a deuce. They drop the deuce. Yeah. They drop a deuce, and and, and then you have. I, I don't know what it means, but I still like the song. I always, I always think it's I mean, he, he's, he's he's worth a damn. You know, it, it's you know he's worth something. He's you know a, a deuce, something worthwhile, something good. So that's I don't know what the hell he means. This is a guy who, you know, obviously came from a a very kind of messed up background. Holocaust survivors, non-English speaking, coming to America. It made up his own words. I mean, what is deuce? It's probably about the same as the it in See You Tonight. You know, it's just a word. Something Mm -hmm. useful, something that rhymes. Works. Yeah. <laughs> but w- w- one fun thing about Jules is uh, I-, I write co- I-, I write columns in Kisarm Sweden's uh, uh, fan sign, uh, destroyer, the destroyer fan scene. And one of my columns was about you know those Japanese uh, sheet lyrics, and and I think they, and and I picked a lot of uh, you know, the, the fun stuff. Uh, and, and Juice, I remember Juice is particularly funny in Japanese. They think they 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 are thinking it's singing. Um, Get up and get your growling out of here, <laughs> which is growling. quite uh, interesting. Yeah, I don't know. It was. Uh, I don't know such a thing as you know growling vocals existed existed back in the seventies, but uh, of course it, mean, it means something different. But get up and get your growling out of here. 
It doesn't really matter because it's the music, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so how, how many left do we have? Uh, Daniel's got two, and you and I have I'm, one each. Okay, my number two. I think it's kind of interesting. We haven't picked a lot of the same songs, uh, and this one has uh, hasn't been picked yet, and it's one of the early albums. And I always like it when. Um, Gene in makeup uh, sang songs that were kind of dark, you know, uh, creepy. Uh, and when you look at the lyrics, there weren't a lot of creepy lyrics, but there's one watching you. Limping as uh, I do. Uh, is it limping as I do? Some say it's living as you do. Limping. Uh, I'm not sure. But uh, you don't really know what to do. And I'm standing here, not quite aware. And I'm trying, baby, trying to not to stare. And then at the end, he seems to have uh, joined forces with the girl he's looking at. Everyone else is here watching us. <laughs> so, you know, there's something strange, something you know, there's something strange with this lyric, and I, I really enjoyed it when I heard it the first time, and still to this day, it's kind of strange. And uh, yeah, yeah. I like it. Uh, Sinister. It's inspired. It's inspired yeah. by a Hitchcock movie, Rear View. Uh, window. Mirror. Rear window. Rear view window. window. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in Swedish, it's called Fönster mot Gården. Yeah, they kind of then jävla bra film. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a terrific movie. Yeah, and he's got a whole, you know, back then he was writing a whole bunch of songs that kind of creepy, voyeuristic, spying on girls drinking at a water fountain in a park. Can't remember which song that was. I mean, so this is just right up there with it. All right, my final pick for today on uh, my top ten Kiss lyrics of today, because obviously tomorrow I might have a completely yeah. different list. All right, and this is just again fun, dumb rock and roll. I'm a dancer, a romance. No, she's a dancer, a romancer. I'm a Capricorn, Best she's a Cancer. Deal. And it's it, it's just so corny. She saw my picture in a music magazine when she met me, said she'd get me, touched her hips, and told me that she let me. My 14-year-old self still loves that song um, for the same reasons. You know, number one, I am a Capricorn as well. So I was like, yeah, you sing it. I'm a Capricorn. So, you know, so as a kid, I just loved it. And it, just the whole, like, the whole theme in there. I like it as well. I, I had to look up cancer. I remember listening to that song. What the hell is a cancer? Because cancer in Swedish is, you know, cancer, the sickness. In English too, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Same, but yeah. Yeah. bit of a bit of a bit of a giveaway with Capricorn. Yeah, yeah I had to, there were different meanings. Okay. Yeah, because, yeah well, well, <laughs> I just uh, must uh, uh, say that I, I asked Paul about this lyric, uh, and yeah, because uh, you know him being a Capricorn, you know Capricorns are very stubborn and very you know driven and so forth. So, so I asked uh, Paul, you know, I started the question with, yeah, as you're singing, come along me, you're a Capricorn, blah, blah. And he said, well, actually, I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a Capricorn. I, I'm on the cusp of, I think it's Aquarius or something. So he spoiled the whole question for me. 
but he's actually not a Capricorn because he's born on the on the 20th of January and Capricorn is just the 19th of January or something like that. But anyway, <laughs> my number one source of Postella lyric from, from number the, one from the same album actually, and it's a uh, it's it's a it's a it's a lyric that uh, you know you know Paul has always been famous for you know the inner rhymings uh, in his lyrics, uh, which is I mean it's not easy to rhyme. And it's very difficult to have those inner rhymings within the lyrics. And uh, that one lyric that is, uh, you know, s- such clever, cleverly p- put together is, uh, you know, I'm feeling low, no place to go. And I'm fe- thinking that I'm going to scream because the hotel all, all alone is not a rock and roll starts to dream. Yeah, so all those rhymes go in, uh, you know, within uh, the same lines, so to speak, of room service, of course. Uh, my plane's delayed and I'm afraid they're gonna keep on waiting until nine. And a stewardess, you know, type of dresses. I got the time. It's it's very cleverly cleverly rhymed that song. I think it is. It is. Good pick. Get what are we gonna end up on? Uh, Drastic Hill is our final picks for today. Ah, Daniel, let's I see. Think, I, I think I have number one left. Uh, I won't end up on Drastic Hill. I want to make Lonnie happy. I think uh, because I have a pick from Revenge. Number one. And uh, it's one day this man in black said, listen, Jack, told me I was chosen to kiss the ring on his hand. Yeah. Which one one is it? Thou shalt not. Yeah. I think it's just, it's like the perfect anti-organized religious song written by Kiss, at least. Uh, and um, one of my favorites, I think it's a good song, but I think the lyrics are really good. Uh, it's not calling Dr. Love or something like that, because this is a serious subject. Oh, no, one of my kids are coming over here and crying. <laughs> she she broke out of the tape. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't yeah. tire hard enough. <laughs> You know, right. you know, going back to, you know, Revenge and the 80s, I think Gene got a lot of inspiration out of the fall of Jimmy Baker, you know, one of those evan- uh, evangelists who used to be on TV in the States and was found with hookers and all that sort of thing. I, I, I think he loved it, especially after the kind of the Creatures of the Night through Crazy Nights tour where there were religious protesters outside of Kiss concerts in a lot of the pl- – and there still are. I mean, the 2009 show I went to, there were – uh, protesters outside reminding us that our souls were going to burn in fires and I was like okay good it's a bit chilly tonight um, it, so I, I think he took a lot of really good kind of got a lot of good lyrics out of singing and writing about that hypocrisy as he perceived it so you know absolutely golden good pick Dan mm-hmm. alright so that, that that is our top ten and that is the end of the show because uh, we, this is a long one. Um, I'm going to have to do some editing work. So what are your top ten lyrics, everyone out there listening to us? You know, what are, what are the, some of the things that you really like? Obviously, Pot of Thunder are to be given a major shout out for being able to do one episode of their podcast on just one damn song. It, it, for me, it was just a stretch to come up with ten lyrics um, to, to have this kind of discussion about. So very interesting. So Wherever you listen to us, do chime in with your 10 picks. Tell us what you think of ours and what we talked about today. Um, And if you're watching us on YouTube, do go over there and click like and subscribe. 
and let us know what you think. So for now, from Carl, from Daniel, and myself, we thank you, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for spending time listening to the KISS FAQ podcast today. All sales are final. There are no refunds. If you'd like, look us up on Facebook or come over to the KISS FAQ message board and discuss the topic we've broadcast today. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes, Spreaker, or wherever you've listened to the show. We hope you'll join us again.